prohibition in America was 1914. They passed what they called the Harrison Act. Look it up on your computer. The Harrison Act gave Big Pharma all their power of prescription drugs. Prior to the Harrison Act, cocaine was in Coca-Cola. You could buy opiates right across the counter. You could buy marijuana across the counter. And there was no addictions. And then you got to understand something else. People in the 1900, 1910, 1920 era, nobody ever got divorced. Women were having seven, eight, nine, ten children. And they were housewives. And they were tired because they were banging babies out every year. Their bodies were being banged down. So doctors prescribed speed for them to wake up in the morning and Valium for them to go to bed at night. You understand? Mm -hmm, And those mm -hmm. drugs are going through their system. And that means every child they carried, that child is being affected on, 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 on an addiction. And they're born addicts. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up, everybody? Thanks for stopping by the show. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Lewis Graphic Design Service. Joanna Lewis offers web design services, commercial production services, as well as logo designs. What makes them unique is that they can take their customer's vision that they have in their head and produce it into something tangible that they can physically see. Don't take my word for it, though. Go see for yourself at joannalewis.com. And if you contact Lewis Graphic Design Services before January 1st, 2021, you will receive a 10% discount on your first order. So what are you waiting for? Go check out Lewis Graphic Design Services at joannalewis.com and use the promo code NWTGBUPOD for your 10% discount. All the direct links and promo code will be in the show notes. IndiePods United Virtual Summit. What's up, everybody? It's just a little over three weeks before the very first IndiePods United Virtual Summit. Here you will observe and learn from other podcasters how to take what you can't stop thinking about and turn it into something real. The online event for new and veteran podcasters where we come together to create with one another. The IndiePods United Convention happens on November 29th through December 3rd, 2020. Featuring amazing shows, speakers, breakout sessions, entertainment, games, and plenty more as we dive in to learn more about the fascinating world of podcasting. For more event information, please visit the Facebook public group, IndiePods United. Tickets are available now through Eventbrite. The IndiePods United Virtual Summit. Together we listen. Relevant links are available in the show notes. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out while you while I paid the bills. Um, and these ones here are just because uh, I'm just a fan. TheCon.TV. Go check it out. New true crime documentary series released in September. Uh, it's about the 2008 financial crisis and everything the big short didn't tell you. So go check that out. T-H-E-C-O-N.TV. TV. There you can find the first episode absolutely free and uh, three other places where you can rent it or uh, no, I think you can rent it uh, on video on demand. So go check it out. All right. So the next recommendation I have for you is the worst Christmas ever. And that was released on November 3rd. My friends, Cindy Castro DeRusso and Eric Vaughn, who had both worked on the con previously, uh, worked on the, whisk, uh, the worst Christmas ever as, as well. 
And so that is available uh, now to rent uh, through Prime, Amazon Prime. And you'll have uh, uh, links to that will be available in the show notes as well. Go and check that out. I'm going to go and I'm going to actually go rent that tonight. So today is the 5th, uh, November 5th. You know, it's two days past the uh, the presidential election, and we still don't know who won. Surprise, surprise. Not really. So that's going on. But so today's guest, we know from Superman 1 and 2, he was part of General Zod's uh, gang, uh, the vi- one of the villains in Superman 1 and 2. Uh, and the, his name was uh, Non in the movie, but his real name is uh, Jack O'Halloran. And Jack, uh, when he wasn't making movies, he was a heavyweight boxer. Um, when he wasn't doing that, he was working for the unions and the uh, the mob, I guess. Uh, his dad was involved in, in, in that, and you'll hear more about that inside. And he, he did some other roles, too, I think, in King Kong and, uh, and some other stuff. Uh, Jack is a really interesting, uh, story and, uh, he throws a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, good information out there. I mean, he was really speaking to, to how I think. So, I mean, I would, I'm, I'm probably biased, but, uh, yeah, it's a great, uh, it was a great conversation. Great episode. Um, and I hope you think so too. So let's get to the show. My guest today is, uh, what he's most notable for is his role in Superman and Superman 2 as one of the villains. I don't remember what exactly the villain's name was, but I know you're part of General Zod's crew. Uh, Jack O'Halloran. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And the the character's name was Non, N-O-N. N-O-N. Non, and he didn't say anything, so he was a non-talker. He was a grunter, though, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, and you've been in a, a, f- a few other things, but you, uh, your your original um, career, you were a, a heavyweight boxer. A heavyweight boxer. I'm looking at your IMDb uh, mini bio here, and uh, you did that all the way up until uh, the early '70s. And then you stopped from, uh, you had to stop because you had a, uh, uh, some, some sort of, uh, uh, health issue, right? I had a, a tumor of the pituitary gland, which is a disease called acromegalia. Okay. Which causes giganticism and stuff. And it's like your body's pumping out 10% growth hormone. Mine was pumping out 150. Okay. So they couldn't figure out how. I could ever get up to fight or get in a frame of mind to fight because it also caused depression and stuff like that. And uh, they decided, they figured that I was 16 and 0 and I was getting a physical for a fight. And the doctor saw things that he didn't like, changes in my face and uh, my eyes and stuff. And he uh, did a certain test on me and they found out that I had this disease and told me that uh, I shouldn't be boxing. I should be taking care of what I had to take care of because the disease would eventually kill me. It was like the same disease uh, the, the wrestler Adrian, uh, Andre the Giant had and uh, Richard Keel. Okay. And, uh, the Bond movies had. And, uh, so I, I, but I just said, you know, I, I had a day job, which was boxing, and my night job was in my father's world. And uh, I um you had to have a day job in those days because if you didn't, the police looked at you kind of funny. So and it allowed me to travel all over the place. So I, I would take fights on a week's notice, you know, three days notice. Um, and I continued to go on and on and on until it got to when I was in California in the heavyweight champ of California. Uh, the doctor there was a good friend of mine. And he said to me, if you don't go to Scripps and get this looked at, he said, I'm taking your boxing license because this disease will kill you, kid. And I don't want to see you die. And, and I went and they did the work up again. And it was really at its running peak. And uh, 
So I had to get it taken care of. And at Scripps, they wanted to do an operation which would remove the gland, which I didn't want to happen because then I'm on pills the rest of my life. So I found a doctor in Boston, the Mass General, who was uh, a pioneer in the disease and had a machine called the Psychotron Proton, which is a beam that doesn't burn because inner explosion of tumors. And uh, and I went up there and, and had it fixed and it worked. You know, I was one in a thousand that first time out, it went wacko, wacko and worked very well, you know. So then I had to retire from boxing and and uh, they came to me to do a film, Farewell, My Lovely, with Robert Mitchum. And uh, I went out and did a screen test in Hollywood. And Mitchum said it's either him or I don't do the movie. And so I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you had a, uh, you start you started out doing that. That's pretty cool. Um, what, uh, so... Another part of of your story, and I and I heard this when I listened to uh, your appearance on uh, I think it was Pink Cloud Nine with uh, Catherine Salamanca. I think that was her name. She's a friend of mine, and you were on one of hers. And uh, you're uh, 44 years sober, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's yeah. why Steve. That's that's where the connection was because Steve Steve Joiner. Uh, he's a publicist, right? And I'm probably a friend of yours and he, he hooked, yeah. that's how we got hooked up. And I think that's kind of, uh, where it was. Cause he was asking what my show was about. And I was like, uh, oh, bottoms, life struggles. Uh, that's what it started as. And then it's kind of grown into something else, uh, now, but I mean, that's the, the base of it is that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm an addict too, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not in the program and I'm not, I don't quite follow the way that. That, uh, uh, like, well, most... I, you know, I, this is something that I don't really talk publicly about because the traditions of my program ask me not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although a lot of people are doing it. Um, you know, I, uh, because of this, because of this acromegaly disease and it caused depression, uh, my drinking increased, you know, and, uh, but I, I was defiant and said, you know, I was going to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic by uh, I get up every morning and go out and run. And and if you ever watched me run in the beginning, it would be comical because I'd be running zigzag because I was out the night before taking care of union business and I'd be drinking. We, we, we controlled the bartender waiters union and steel workers and a few other things. And, uh, so I'd be out drinking with people, and then I'd get up, i go to bed at 4 o'clock, and I'd get up at 6 to go run, and I'd be running sideways until I ran straight and sobered myself up. You know, and I'd, I'd run until I got sober. And then I would go to the gym, and I would sweat out everything from the night before just to prove that I was fine. And, uh, and then I would go out at night and do it all over again, you know, which is kind of the insanity of a disease. And uh, I... Um, I knew about uh, the disease. Uh, I was very fortunate in 1962 to have met one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson, in New York. And uh, so I, I knew about the disease, but then I, you know, uh, I had my career as a fighter and I had uh, uh, Vietnam and some other things in between. And uh, I would stay sober for periods of time, but I was like a dry drunk. And which is worse than a wet trunk uh, because you're aware of the things you're doing. And, uh, and then I got into the program in 76 and, uh, and stayed there and, you know, surrendered to the fact that I had this problem and, and it's a fatal disease and it is a disease. And, uh, but there's something I could do about it. And, uh, and if I do the things in the day that I need to do, uh, it, uh, my life is very good, you know, uh, but I can't even think about picking up a drink. Well, you know, it's not so much the alcohol, the disease I was born with, and it's between your ears. It's uh, it's, it's a it's spiritual malady that you know, takes your body over. Uh, but like I said, there's a solution for it. There's something I can do. So I do it on a daily basis. And that's why I met your friend. She has a program on addictions. 
Yep, yep, yep. I I talk about that too, and I have a lot of people with, that do addiction and stuff like that. I you know I I don't uh, I like I said I do mine a little bit differently. I started out in the in the rooms, and uh, that's where it, it got my uh, uh, where I, I where I was able to stop right. You know, that's where I was able to be able to pause from the, from the substances long enough to, to get some time under my belt and get my, my head back on around me, you know. But my, my, my drug of choice wasn't, uh, alcohol. It was, uh, methamphetamines. I just didn't, I. Well, see, there's a, there, there's a, there's a big difference. Like, you know, the problem with AA is we get a lot of people with outside issues in our rooms. Yeah. That don't belong there. They belong in NA and they belong in, you know, other, 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 other programs. And uh, if you have the ability to stop anything, uh, however you do it, without, you know, going through the tortures of it uh, in your mind, then God bless you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it just, it just, it, it just wasn't for me in in the end. And so, you know, I, I, I don't, there's just certain things, like I can, I can have uh, – a beer or, you know, a drink socially and not you can drink casually like that. More power to you. Yeah. And so, it's I mean, a, it's a, you know, it's just, the, it's a method, you know, there's certain things in your life that you just can't mess with. And that was one of them, you know, for me, it was oh, meth. Well, you know, it's, people get, people get turned into things that they don't, they're not really, as long as they don't allow themselves to be so addicted that they can't put it down. You know, if you can put it down and walk away, more power to your elbow, you know. God yeah, bless yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And, if you, and once you clean your head out, if you realize the damage you're doing to yourself, and you can stop it, then you know you've accomplished something that a lot of people can't do. You know. Yeah. It's like yeah. heroin. You know, everybody. Heroin is 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 a terrible drug because people. The only way to really kick heroin is to cold turkey. To go through the withdrawals, mm-hmm. to go through the belly cramps, the pain and the anxiety, and clean it out of your system. And, you know, the best thing to do is to, to drink a lot of lemon juice and stuff that clears out your, your bloodline. Because you will never OD from heroin unless you OD it, unless you overdose it. It will never kill you. It, what it is is your, your body doesn't manufacture that drug. But when you're mainlining it, you're feeding a drug to your body. When you stop doing that, your belly cramps, your body craves it, and it goes into traumas and stuff. And if you can go through that sickness, it'll, it'll open your head up to believe like you can beat something, just like you did with meth, you know, and meth took you in a place you didn't want to be. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I did, I did it with opioids, too. Uh, you know that I have, but I was able to function on that. Right. So it's like, I went through like through my whole progression to where I'm at now. It's like, I went through all of these different things and I was like trying out this one, trying out this one, trying out this one. And I finally got to a point where it's like, all right, well, I know that I can't mess. If I want to be productive and I want to get things done that I can't mess with this, I can't mess with that. I can't mess with that or that. So these are my choices. This is what I can do. Right. I don't like to drink it gives me a headache. So just, you know, if you, if you're going to, if I'm going to do it, it'll either be on like a, uh, on a, on a, a celebration or, um, you know, like a beer, you know, and it usually doesn't go yeah, no, any, 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 any more than that. Um, and as far as like for pain, if I need pain anymore, uh, I just take edibles now, you know, I'll take some edible marijuana, which is what actually helped me get off of, uh, the, the painkillers. And the painkillers, that's exactly what was happening. You know, when I, I, would, I was doing them like maybe uh, 10 or 15 of them uh, a day, 20 a day. Uh, you weren't and, prescribed that. Nobody prescribed you. No, 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 no. So, I, I mean, definitely was abusing them. I, I, I was getting 120 a month, and at one point I was buying an extra 100. But, I mean, it was, you know, you stop doing them and you get that cramping and, and diarrhea yeah. and all yeah. that stuff, you know, yeah. it's, it's some nasty, yeah. nasty deal. But I mean, I had to wean myself off of that and then, you know, cut the dose in half, 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 half. And then once I got to like down to a, a minuscule amount, then I, I used, well, uh, thank God you were able to do that. A lot of yeah. people can. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, that mind power. I mean, but that's also after, you know, let's just say like two or three stints in a drug rehab over the years, you know, I mean, over an 18 year period, I think I, I've been in, uh, uh, 
I think eight, like, maybe it was sixteen or seventeen eight, different eight, institutions. Eight, you threw part of your life away. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, I did. Um, I was, uh, you know, I've been to prison. Uh, started from zero three times, almost died five times. Um, you know, just, just been through it, you know, and 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 figured it out. But we're not here to talk about me. We're 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 we're, we're here to talk about you. Um, so you you went through all of that, right? You're you're in the program, and and you got your sobriety going. Uh, your your boxing career started. You ended up in these movies. And if then- I if I had if I had not had a drinks problem and uh, and the acrimony, I probably would have been heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, but uh, alcohol is a terrible deal, man. You know? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it when is. I, when I when I got rid of it, uh, I was doing. I was in the film business. I got rid of it when I was doing King Kong, actually. You know, I was in I was in the film King Kong. We just started, and uh, and, uh, and I remember the the last night I had my last drink, and you know, uh, called the man on the phone and went to see him the next day, and here I be, you know. Yeah, yeah. Forty four years later. <laughs> well, hey, at least you're still at least you're still here and kicking and can tell and, and talk about it, uh, and, and, and you know and that's what this is all about, really. It's about people sharing their stories, making connections, and you know, hopefully, somebody can get something out of these conversations as they listen back to them, and maybe you know, they may pull some pull some nuggets of of wisdom out out of these things. Um, so, you also you, you wrote a book, right? Yeah, family legacy. Yeah, family legacy. Talk. Tell me a little bit about that. What is that about? Well, I had an infamous father who was from New York. Well, he was from Italy, and he came into New York back in the day, in 1918, with the rest of them. And, uh, he became the most feared Italian to ever come into the country, Albert Anastasia. And he wound up running a little company called Murder Incorporated. And then he became, they had his own family, which turned into the Gambino family. And Carl Gambino was my father's underboss. And when they assassinated my father in 57, because he wouldn't go in the drug business. Um, when Brando, when you see the Godfather and they, and they, Brando refuses to go in the drug business and says, if we, if I touch it, my children will touch it. It'll be the downfall of the families. And I think I, I have to pass. And my father said that. And my father controlled all the ports of America. And he said, you're not bringing that stuff in on my watch. We didn't sign up for this. And, and they begged him. They said, Albert, it's only, it's, 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 it's just business. It's money. And Vito Genovese was very big on bringing drugs into America. And, uh, and my father wasn't. So and when they assassinated him, they realized they made a terrible, terrible mistake because he was the glue that held everybody together. People were so afraid of him that they didn't dare do certain things or break certain rules. And, uh, after he was gone, uh, the Appalachian thing that, that Genovese created, showing guys running through the woods, gave the FBI a chance to open their mouth. Prior to that, they never said boo. You know, Jager Hoover stood up in New York one time and said there's no such thing as organized crime in America because he had a partnership with my father. They, my father handed him a guy, Lipke, in 1939. Uh, Louis Buckholder Lipke was my father's partner in Murder, Inc. And he did something he should have killed the guy instead of just giving him a beating and the guy turned out to be the first real rat that they ever had and went into a witness protection program and put 11 guys on death row and they had to hide Lipke for two years and he was costing them a lot of money and so they made a deal and they said you know you just got to turn yourself in and we, we can't continue to do this like this. and uh, so they made a deal Walter Winchell brokered it and uh, Lipke went from my father's car to Hoover's car. But it was the very first national criminal that the FBI ever captured. But they didn't capture him. He walked into their car. And uh, you know, when he was, uh, Lewis was, a, was, a, was, a, was a, a clever, clever guy. He was a Jewish guy and the union expert and the garment district and stuff. And uh, they... Uh, when he was in jail, Dewey went to see him and said, and it's one of the things I really give him a lot of credit for. Dewey, Dewey went to see him and told him, he said, you know, you don't really have to die. 
you, your friends, your good friends put you here. All you got to do is tell us about them and I'll make sure your life in prison is, is cakewalk the rest of your life. And he uh, looked them in the eye and he said, listen, if my dear friends put me here, they must have had a very good reason for it. So let's get the show on the road and take a walk down this aisle. Put me in this chair and let's get this thing over with. You know, and turn around and said some choice words of, you know, F you to him and said, you know, get out of my face. And he walked down the street and got in the chair and they electrocuted him. You know, Lewis was a tough guy and he knew what he was doing. And, you know, as they were all who took an oath. And when they took the oath of Emerito, a lot of them stood by it. You know, some of them didn't. Then it turned out once you get one rat starting, it starts a trend. And then prison changed and people were afraid to go to prison and uh, they'd sell their mothers out rather than go to jail. And that's unfortunately where they're at today. Is that Was that right around the time when uh, they, they, they started RICO? Um, RICO was uh, several years later. They, they were coming up for they wanted ways to be able to get people on conspiracies. And the RICO Act is, is really a bunch of garbage because... They, they can use it on anything, and it's not, it really, it really is a, a very badly written law, uh, and it's being, and it gets abused a lot, you know, and the, and the people that they should in, in use it on, they don't. All these politicians today that are, you have Como and all these people, the mayor and the, the governor of New York and, and, and a lot of Democratic states that are robbing money from the public every day. Uh, and no one does anything about it, you know. I mean, Como took $500 million of taxpayer money and invested it in a company that went broke four months later. Where's the money? Mm-hmm. Well, Nobody's I mean. Nobody's asking the question. You understand that? Well, and yeah. The, the city's hurting. You know, in New York, in New York alone, since this epidemic has come down, there's been over 500 shootings. Did you know that? I know that I know that the uh, the crime's gone up since they they in the police gone up, they, but the media doesn't tell you that. The media doesn't say jack word about it, not one word. Five hundred shootings in New York City. They're driving people out of the city. Philadelphia is right behind them in killings. Chicago, Milwaukee, Minnesota. There's more guns on the streets today than there ever was because of what's going on. Well. I mean, what what do you what do you think that? Well, well, first of all, let me let me let me go roll back a little bit because we talked we we stepped on something there about conspiracy. So one thing that I'm I'm actually in the process of doing right now is there's a there's a, a judge out of uh, the Northern District of Texas called uh, Ju- Judge John McBride, and he's in the federal court. Well, he's no longer he's not there anymore, but. All of the cases that are out coming out of his court are all conspiracy. And it's the conspiracy is for meth addicts, right? And what he's trying to call conspiracy and, and what the DEA agents out there are trying to call conspiracy out, out in the Northern District of Texas is nothing different than like you and I want to get some drugs, right? We only got 40 bucks a piece. Now, I mean, that's not going to get us a whole lot, right? Well, if we go and get, you know, an, uh, three more people with $40 and then we're able to get a larger amount and, and, you know, then our, our, we can stretch our money further, right? This is what they're calling conspiracy and handing people out drug addicts, low level drug addicts. They're handing them 20, 30, 40 years, some of them life sentences, uh, for drugs. It's crazy. And so I've the been. The whole system, the whole system is, you know, uh, run the reel backwards. You understand? Yeah. And uh, you got to go back to the 50s. And uh, when there was a different control, you go back all the way back to like 19. What I, the reason why I wrote this book, and we're writing a couple more books, and, and we're incorporating Charlie Luciana's. His son is my friend. We're bringing his father's book in. His father was my partners with my father. And Charlie put the commission together. Uh, Lucky Luciano put the, the OSS together, which became the CIA. Uh, there, was a, there was a partnership. In the beginning, you had government, industry, 
organized crime and unions were all partners. They, a lot of illicit monies that were made by organized crime, they put back into the growth of a country. They created jobs because their initial deal was gambling, loan sharking, and extortion. You didn't have money, you couldn't pay them. So they made sure you went to work. They created the construction companies, they created unions, they invested in General Electric, the insurance companies. They invested in the growth of a country. No one ever talks about that. You understand? And that went on all the way up to the Kennedy era. And Bobby Kennedy's bullshit. And and, and there's a whole thing behind that. And and you 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 everybody looks at well the Camelot thing, it's it, that's all garbage. There's there's a truism underneath all that. Joe Kennedy was not a nice person. He did a lot of bad things that no one ever talks about. And they're all politically oriented. There's a lot of politicians that did a lot of things, but when they were all partners, there was a lot more control. And and the control factor to show you just exactly how much control is that a guy named Dewey went to sleep at night thinking he was president of the United States and he woke up to Truman. <laughs> and the reason for that was that we controlled a lot of votes. And we backed the right guy. Truman was the right president that the country needed. They needed somebody to push that button for Japan. You understand? Mm-hmm. And Truman was like Trump. Truman wouldn't take any salary. Truman didn't have 100 people working around him. He said the money belongs to the people. And when he retired, he never took a pension from the presidency. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. didn't know that, Okay. And let me ask you another question. See, here's the problem. People don't know the history of our country, period. What was the very first prohibition in America? Uh, The very first prohibition in America was... uh, Well, we had had opium. We had had, uh, alcohol. Uh, That was the first one, wasn't it? First prohibition in America was 1914. They passed what they called the Harrison Act. Look it up on your computer. They passed something called the Harrison Act. The Harrison Act gave Big Pharma all their power of prescription drugs. Prior to the Harrison Act, cocaine was in Coca-Cola. You could buy opiates right across the counter. You could buy marijuana across the counter. And there was no addictions. You understand? And then you got to understand something else. People in the 1900, 1910, 1920 era, nobody ever got divorced. Women were having seven, eight, nine, ten children. And they were housewives. And they were tired because they were banging babies out every year. Their bodies were being banged down. So doctors prescribed speed for them to wake up in the morning and Valium for them to go to bed at night. You understand? Mm-hmm, and those mm-hmm. drugs are going through their system. And that means every child they carried, that child is being affected on, on, a, on, a, on an addiction. And they're born addicts. In 1970, they did a documentary. One time they showed it called The Littlest Junkie. And they did it out of a New York hospital. Because all these babies were being born. They were screaming and crying. No one could figure out what was wrong with them. And one bright doctor said, these children are going through withdrawal. Their mothers were addicts. Those children were addicts while they were inside their mother. When they came out, they're not getting the fed the drugs anymore, and their bellies are cramping, just like your belly cramped mm-hmm. when you stop. Mm-hmm. Their bellies were cramping. They were born addicts, and they wondered why in the 60s, why sex, drugs, and rock and roll was so prominent, because we're addictive people. That was created in us. We didn't ask for it. Nobody takes responsibility for anything. Big Pharma is a bad act, pal. Mm-hmm. Oh, All yeah, these I... statin drugs that they put out are killing people. Well, Not helping them. They're killing them. Well, between between big pharma and then you have all of the uh, agriculture and all Monsanto stuff and everything that's in the uh, processed foods. I mean, if you're not if you're not getting killed by the processed foods, then you're gonna then you're getting killed by all of the different you know uh, GMO you know stuff. That's that's uh, it, it, it's crazy. Everything that you think that is, I mean, just look at where we're at right now. I mean, would you ever have in a million years thought that they would be stopping the economy the way that they are just to I don't know, man. It, it all seems well, pretty suspect to me. Question. 
let me ask you this question. This virus is nowhere near as bad as AIDS was. Did AIDS stop the economy? No. Worldwide? No. Yet it affected more people and killed more people than this disease will ever kill. More people died of AIDS than this one ever will happen. Yep. yep. You understand that? Yep. That didn't stop the economy. That didn't tell people they had to be six six feet apart. That didn't say you couldn't go here and you couldn't go there. And so, there is no vaccination for an immune system disease. Mm-mm. You cannot vaccinate for that. That's just an excuse to tag you. They want to tag everybody. This is something Gates has been involved in since mm-hmm. the 30s, his whole family. Now you're talking and you got a guy, George Soros, who supports all this rioting and stuff. Mm-hmm. You got you got to look at what's going on here. Here's here's pallets of bricks that are being put in a neighborhood. Talk to me, man. Talk to you me. Have, you're you're speaking my you're speaking my language right now. Talk to me. You have one crew of people picking up the bricks and throwing them through the window. Another crew of people coming in and looting. And then there's vans around the corner waiting for the guards to be taken into the vans to be carted away. That costs money to orchestrate something like that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't that doesn't come cheap. That costs money. They had people dressed up as cops throwing bricks, mm-hmm. trying to blame the police for it. They went to great lengths. There was ads running the paper for people to come and collect $200 or $400 to become part of this action. They were paying them to do it. Yeah, they they've were been paying people to protest. They've been doing that though. That that I mean that that's not a that's not a new thing that's been happening. Why? What? But what's the what's the end game? What is the? I mean, what what is it all? They want America to become a socialistic country. Do you want your freedom taken away? Look at you sitting at your home doing this podcast. If we become a socialistic company, you'll never be able to do that. The government oh, yeah, will yeah. tell you what you'll do. Yeah, yeah. The government will tell you how to get out of your head, how to walk down the street, how much you can have food-wise, how much you can make this way. Have you ever been to a socialistic-run country? No. Look at China. Look at Russia. Take a look at the liberties that people were taking away from them. So not a joke. So how do we stop it? So how do we stop it? should have closed the borders 30 years ago. When, okay. when your forefathers, when my forefathers came into America, they wanted to be Americans. They wanted the American way of life. They wanted the democracy, the freedom, because they came from, from, from socialistic countries. They wanted to be able to go to work and make as much money as they could. They wanted the freedom to do that, the freedom to raise their children the way they wanted to. They, they embarked on an American way of life. The people that come into our country today are bleeding the country down. They want free cell phones, free education, free food. And they take the money and they send it back to their own country. They want to bring their culture into America and hell with American culture. You're sitting there watching it happen, but if America doesn't wake up soon, we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble. Let me tell you something. It ain't a joke. It's not a joke. There's a serious deal that's happening here, and we better wake up soon, or you're not going to have any freedom. Your freedom is going to be taken away from you. Oh, I read the I, books I, on Germany on the and, and on the Berlin Wall, and and one side of Berlin and the other. One was run by having the government, and this started in this country with welfare. And Roosevelt had the right idea when he stood up and said, "You people want to collect a check for welfare." Go out and clean up the garbage in the streets. Fix the pothole. Do a job. Do something. And they pushed that away. And people started collecting. And you had women who were having babies every nine months with no father. And every child they had, they collected more welfare. And the welfare system got out of hand. The government was paying their way. They didn't want to work anymore. They didn't want to do anything. They had the government take care of it. That the way you want to live your life? No. So how do we fix it? I oh. mean, I mean, you know, you, you look from from where I'm sitting. It, it to me, it, it seems like it doesn't matter what it does. Kid, it doesn't matter left or right. It, they're 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 all on, they're on the same team. When I was a kid, re raised in Philadelphia, 
we lived in a row home in Southwest Philadelphia. We never locked our front doors. The summertime was very hot. No one had air conditioning. They slept in their backyards outside. No one ever raped anybody or stole anything or bothered anybody. Baby prams could be left out front of your house. Kids played in the street from sun up to sundown. And you better be at home at six o'clock for dinner because families ate together. All of them sat at the family, looked across the table at each other. And neighborhoods were run by people. And if you committed certain crimes in that neighborhood, they took care of it. The hell with the cops. You had to worry about them. It was a different, different environment. Neighbors helped each other. People took care of each other. Welfare separated people, put the government in between. All of a sudden, they didn't have to ask their neighbor for help. They went to the government. So if you were going to... Yeah, oh, no, I, I understand 100%. I, I get it. And it's being devised. When I was in grammar school in the 50s, yeah? When I was in grammar school in the 50s, the illiteracy rate in America, we were a 90% literate country. You know what the literary rate right now is in America? What is it? About 42. Sounds about right. We are like 26th ranked in the world for literacy capability. Do you know who's a better literate company, country than, than this country is? Vietnam. Vietnam is like 92% literate because of Ho Chi Minh's stickiness on education. Those kids went to school Saturdays, Sundays, and everything. They used to march. It was a trip watching them march down to the school, all in uniforms and everything, out in the wilderness. They would walk to school every day. We have. When I was in school as a kid, if you failed, they left you back. You had to repeat the grade. And then they put the push system in, where they just kept pushing kids through each grade after another grade. And you had kids sitting in 12th grade that could hardly read or write. And you want to know why the illiteracy went downhill? Well, there's a there's there's a lot of components that are that are that are working that are working here. You know what I mean? You've 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 named a couple. Uh, well, you know, so there's a lot of programs that schools were taken away from them over budgets. Yeah, but yet you have a lottery that's supposed to support all that stuff. Where's the money? Because I, it's not supporting it. Not supporting cleaning up the streets. Not supporting education. Not supporting anything. So what's the common denominator? So what? So, so let me show you something. What's the common? What's something. the common? Hold on, we're, one quick. You ask, what's the you common? Ask me why I wrote a book. Okay, go you ahead. Ask me why I wrote a book. Okay, it, it, when I was a kid, they had number writers. You've heard of that, right? People used to write numbers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People would bet a nickel, a quarter, you know, on a number, their lucky number, or what they dreamt. They'd bet a nickel, a quarter. The chances of them winning that lottery. It was a thousand to one. They wanted people to win. People would win fifty bucks, a hundred bucks, and meant new shoes or a bicycle for their kids. But the money was spent in the neighborhood. The women, the women that sat at home and wrote, picked up their phone and took down all these numbers and created all these slips, and then a runner would come by and pick them up and take them to the to the bank. You understand? Mm -hmm. That woman was being paid one hundred and fifty dollars a week in cash. That money, $150 a week in the 40s and the 50s was a lot of money. And that money went into the local economy, into grocery stores, into shorts for shoes or clothes for kids. You understand? Mm -hmm. Once they made, Nixon made bookmaking a felony, that was eradicated. And gave people six, six months for, for bookmaking because they wanted the lottery to come into existence. You know what the percentage of you winning the lottery is? What is it? One, one in a million? One in two million? 25 million to one. <laughs> 25 million to one. And people are taking their mortgage payments, buying lottery tickets because they put up this analyzing, you're going to win $200 million. People are taking money out of their budgets and going and playing the lottery every day, just like having casinos in every city, which is the dumbest thing in the world because gambling is an addiction. A bad addiction. People are taking their mortgage money, their car money, and they're gambling it away. And they're putting the casinos in devastating areas like Detroit, 
places where the economy sucks. They're well, tearing down the morality of a country. Why? Well, let, let, let's. I'm going to say it one more time. The common denominator in everything that you're talking about is politicians. They're the they're the ones they're the ones. Democrats. But you know, I don't. They're they're bad. But you know, I I I think that the, the it's two heads of the same snake. You think Obama was good for our country? I don't think any of them are good for our country. I don't Do think. You know that Obama should have never been president of the United States. He was not a citizen of America. He was not born in America. And then, and in and in our Constitution, it states that you must be a born citizen of the United States of America to attain that office. Yeah, yeah, the whole birther thing. Obama came into California as a foreign student because he was an Indonesian citizen, not American. He was not born in Hawaii. His birth certificate is phony. I have his real birth certificate. His Social Security card out of Connecticut was phony. He never went to class in Columbia. He barely went to school at Harvard. Well, I, I was contrived. They they contrived him. He came from nowhere. They groomed him to be president because he would do and, and he took this country and sold it right down the right down the river. I don't. I you know I think they're all I think they're all bad. There's there's no there's no. I, you know, I think at one point they get when they go when they go to Washington, they have you know they get elected to do whatever. They may yeah, have people got to pick up and vote properly. Then that's what votes about. That's what a democracy is about. You know what I just listened to today? Come out and vote. I listened to a guy on the Ripple Effect podcast. I think it was I think Greg Patel or something. And it was about voter fraud, and that the that the the problem with the uh, with the the the, the mail in system is is that a lot of mail in system will never work. No, well, because it it, it it already doesn't work because you have so many that don't even get counted because uh, they never even make it to the mail. Don't you understand why it's supposed to be a private a private voting that no one knows? But if you look on the envelopes, it has either an R or a D. Not supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be disclosing whether you're Republican or Democrat. You understand? Yeah, yeah. So when they look at that number and they see the R or the D, and they say, "Okay, Republican, throw in the trash can." Throw so in the trash can. So we we have all of these issues, right? And you we you and I have both just pointed out a bunch of them. You pointed out more than I have, um, you know. But what's the solution? What is it? You know what America's I mean? America's got to stand up, get off their ass, and go to the polls and vote properly. But what? But and I, vote properly. Okay, okay, but what is properly? I mean that that vote what your heart tells you to vote. You if you go in and, and you cast a ballot, make sure the ballots are being cast properly. Get off your ass and exercise your civil rights. You have a right of freedom of speech. You have a right to, to disclose how you feel. But you ain't gonna have that right very long. They keep going the way they're going, that's all gonna be taken away. But it's all being orchestrated though. It's all being orchestrated by by the billionaire class. See, like you talked to me earlier. You said they're giving you're giving minor drug busts twenty five, thirty years. Then they turn around and they're letting them all out of jail. They've been letting more people out of jail because they say, "Oh, this pandemic thing is bad, man. You got can't keep these people in uh, the, the 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 virus in prisons diabolical." No, that's not the that's not the truth in the in the federal system. Maybe in the state, but the federal. They're not. They're not letting go of hardly anybody. The, unless you've unless you've got unless you've got like a couple of uh, months early, you know, or or your 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 uh, Roger Stone or or the other guy uh, Cohen, you're not. They're they're those guys got some some love, but the but the other people and I, I've been talking to a, a bunch of people like I've, I'm up to like ten that I'm talking to. They're in the federal system right now. Um, you know, on and the listen, phone. I've had friends of mine done 40, 30 years in the federal system. Guys that have died there. <clears throat> Guys that were given cancer shots by the government to die. Yeah. That's all real. That's not phony. Oh, I know. I was in there. I spent, I spent, uh, 18 months, not very long, but I, I was in federal prison. So I did state and federal time. Um, you know, 
but yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, it's discouraging, you know, and for a long period of time, I wasn't awake to any of this stuff because I had my head in, in, in the clouds, you know, doing drugs. And then once I came out of this, probably around 2010, like More all drugs in jail than there are in the street. I, I don't doubt it. There was where I was. I, I didn't partake in any of it when I was in prison because it's, that's the quickest way to get yourself in trouble. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we can go on and on and on and on about the corruption and everything and all the problems that we're facing and why we are where we're at today as a society and, and in this country. Um, but what, what is it that you're doing now? You, uh, you're, you're a real estate agent. You have a real estate company. No. And we're, we're, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm in the movie business. I've been in yep. it for 42 years. And I've got, I'm getting ready to do a mini series on my books, Family Whoa. Legacy, which will turn into a series. We're building a studio. We're building a studio in Nevada. It'd be the biggest, putting a 4 million square foot studio in Nevada for the first time, putting everything under one roof. Every technology from film, streaming, music, water body, Everything that everything conceivable in entertainment will be under one roof. We're putting a smart city next to it that'll house twenty-five to thirty thousand people, so that people only have to go to work fifteen minutes, travel time, to where like I live here in Redondo Beach. If I'm going to go to Warner Brothers to do a film, I got an hour and a half, two hours each way travel time every day. So I take an apartment somewhere close to the studio, you know, because you just can't. It's it's putting four hours of your day out with the, with the anxiety of travel is crazy. Yeah. So you have technicians who live even further out and they travel in and out to go to work every day. So where's their minds when they get to work? You're driving on a highway, crazy highway for two hours. You're going to unwind your mind right away to get behind a camera to do your, to do a technician job, you know? So we're making things cost effective. We're, we're going we're gonna to do something that's going to revolutionize the industry, period. Okay, okay. And that's in uh, Nevada? Nevada, yeah. That's cool. So what I was thinking about, you said part of your uh, contact, it said Movie Land Properties. Is that what it, it was? Movie Land Properties, is, is that's my <clears throat> film bill. Okay. That's okay. my film properties. I own literary properties. Okay. I've written some scripts. I'm writing some books. So the Movie Land Properties are... My literary property. Okay. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I I, I associated it with uh, with uh, real estate only because I'm a I'm a drone, a licensed drone pilot thing, and I used to do uh, 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 real estate aerial photography. I had a business doing that for a little while. Um, I don't have it anymore. Just it was <sighs> marketing. Sometimes it, 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 on something that you're just starting up is a is a full time job, and like I I'm in the uh, I'm in the uh, uh, the I'm a labor labor. Well, I'm not a laborer. I'm a tradesman, but I'm in the uh, local 16, so I'm a union guy. What 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 union is that? Uh, heat and frost insulators, so laggers. Okay. You know the uh, we put the. Uh, uh, Heating, hot water, piping, uh, insulation for, uh, for. Are you guys affiliated with the Teamsters? No, no, no. We're we're separate. We're with the building trades. Okay. So carpenters, electricians, uh, all, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. AFL CIO. Yeah. And so I was uh, I was on the executive board for a while there, and I also I ran for a business agent position uh, last year, and I didn't win. So, uh, and then and then this happened. Which is uh, well, it's not a bad thing. It's kind of it's kind of uh, shown me that I I, I want to shift a little bit directions. I mean, I got in late, uh, so I mean, I've got twenty, I think twenty more years, thirty years. You're vested at twenty one hundred a month for your pension, and so I've still got like twenty to go, or or maybe not that much, but it, I'm forty six, and uh, yeah, there's no there's no way I don't think I can I'm going to be able to do it for another twenty years just. Yeah, it's a young man's game. Everybody has their own perspective on things, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. And if I have to do it, I'll do it. If uh, if I can pivot into you know what I'm doing now, or you know turn unions are the problem with the unions. Unions have changed so much since Hoffa because the government got involved in the unions. Well, yeah, they, they have did. too much to say in the unions. You understand? No, the I Teamsters, do. 
Hoffa was Hoffa was a brilliant individual, and he was a man's man. And Jimmy would never ask you to do what he couldn't do himself. And he took guys who were truck drivers, who loaded the loaded the freight, drove the freight, and unloaded the freight. They were working 18, 20 hour days, and being paid minimal money. And he took them to make them six digit a year guys, and they didn't touch a piece of freight. All they did was drive the truck from one port to another. He put the pension fund together for them. He did. He, he, they, he took them out of took them out of here and brought them up here to where they're making six digits a year. Not bad for a truck driver, is it? No, that's good. Good living, especially back then. That's good living. Well, you know, so when they for them to turn around and say that he stole the eight thousand dollars from the Teamsters pension fund to fix his house is a such ludicrous statement because if Jimmy wanted his house renovated, there are tradesmen like you guys would have went and did it for nothing because yep. they loved them. Yep. Because they loved them. You understand? And and spending $8,000 in renovation for your home is nothing. You're not renovating a hell of a lot. No, so, no. Yeah. And, and you know, a way for that, you know, it was bullshit. And, and half of, to show you the kind of person, if you didn't know Hoffa, every truck driver in the country lined up their trucks all the way to Lewisburg, tooting their horns as he drove by. And we had a conversation with him from Boston right before he went away, and, and the guy said to him, Jimmy, you don't have to go to jail. Every Teamster in the country will walk off his job. Teamsters, the, the country had already made the transition from rail to truck. It would have paralyzed the country. Hoffa turned around and said, listen, if they think I did the crime, I'll do the time. Because he thought he was going to be there for three days, three months at the most. And he'd be out. But he backed the wrong president. And he was there a few years. And the deal he made to get out was diabolical. It was a diabolical deal. And when he came home, he went right into his office and threw Fitzsimmons out. And the government had already infiltrated the Teamsters. Fitzsimmons was giving money out of the pension fund to people he should never have done it to. Jimmy Hoffa, every loan he made when he when they built Vegas and they took $25 million from the pension fund to build Caesar's Palace, every dime of that money was paid back. You understand? Mm-hmm. Big difference. A big difference. And all the theories of where's Jimmy Hoffa and all this other shit is to so many conspiracy theories, it's ridiculous. It just did a movie called The Irishman. I knew Frank Fallon very well. He never killed Hoffa. He never killed Joey Gallo. I knew Russell Buffalino very well. He was a dear friend of mine from Western Pennsylvania. Russell turned over in his grave if he saw that picture. They had great actors, played parts good and all that, but they did another Hollywood theory conspiracy. In other words, putting answers to things that no one put an answer to. So that's why we're writing these books. We're going to tell the truth. We're going to tell the truth about what happened in this country. What's well, good. It needs the most to. dynamite series you ever saw in your life. It needs to. It needs to. There, there, there's, there, there's, there's, there's tons of stuff that people don't know. I mean, I, I watch a lot of, uh, alternative, uh, media stuff, you know, Ryan Dawson, you know, people that are talking about, you know, the, uh, the well, c- just like, civil war just like and, and everything just like else. You, do, you did, you just like you did uh, edible, edible marijuana to, to take yourself off of certain things because they have proven that it is health wise, much better for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not addictive. And, and, and the, the CB oils that they get off of the plant, don't have the same components as marijuana of the plant that you smoke. Not the same deal. Yeah, yeah. You understand me? Yep. And they, the reason why they never legalized marijuana years ago is because they couldn't control or figure out how to tax it. Because you could take seeds and throw them in your backyard and grow it. They couldn't control it. So the government started growing it in the middle of the country. And, and the marijuana that they sell in the stores today that comes from the government is a hell of a lot stronger than anything you ever smoked that came from Mexico. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot, probably a lot prettier than all that bricks, uh, sticks and sticks and stones that are uh, pressed together. 
Oh, uh, you voted a few bricks, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not that young. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, we're, 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 we're hitting about almost, uh, almost an hour here, man. Um, yeah, that, that's amazing that you're, that you're building, you're starting that thing. I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, uh learning studio, more about it. is brilliant. Studio is going to be brilliant. It's brilliant for the industry. It's great for the, for the technicians. And we're going to give them a seven year work contract. To give them security of employment. You understand? Yeah, yeah, I do. We we've got a 45% tax deal out there. It's, it's going to work really, really well. It's, uh, we'll have productions from all over the world because you don't have to go on location anymore. The technology that's there today, you can shoot everything right in the studio. Oh, yeah, the, the green screen yeah. technology and all the suits well, and stuff. Just, they got this LED technology now that... We actually were doing with Superman, but uh, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be great. I mean, you there's going to be a lot better product come out. Now I know my uh, my my ex father in law. He was uh, he's in the uh, insulation business as well, but he does a lot of work in uh, in the studios for soundproofing uh, for sound insulation and stuff like that. And he was uh, maybe about two years ago. I want to say two two or three years ago. There was a huge boom out in uh, China where China was trying to get a bunch of people or get studios to to do stuff out there. They were building sound stages. Huge. Well, there's a city over there that has. There's a whole city in China that that nobody lives in. Yeah. I mean they they build these cities because they got nothing better to do. They build sound. <laughs> they build film studios. But you got to understand something. The they're not. They're not into the Western type of films made yet. They're still, they haven't got there yet. And for them to do films over in China, they've got to fly everybody in there. Mm. You understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and just to show you how the lack of freedom, you know, they opened up the door for the Western world to bring their movie business into China. And some greedy studio moguls ran over there. And it took 50, 60 pictures in there. And what they did, what the, how they got trapped is, it was all great. They made their movies over there, cost-effective, they thought, and then try to get the money back out. They put a tax on them, like 39% exit tax for the money and crippled them right on the spot. Huh. Same as they did the same thing in Macau with, with, with Adelson, the big gambling guy, who went over there and built all the casinos up over the moon. Then try to get his money out. Uh-uh. Ain't happening. Nah. It's all dirty, man. Everything's dirty. At least that's what it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, you know, when uh, when any of your stuff comes out. Um, yeah, Family Legacy is a great read. It's on Amazon. You can get it. Just go to familylegacythenovel.com. Takes you right to the book. And there's another book coming out in about 45 days. So it's, uh, and we've got like three more and we got Luke Feliciano's book coming out. But we're going to, we're going to tell the truth about how things transpired in the country and how the changes came about and tell the truth about it, which oh. the people deserve to know. That's that's good, and I think you know that's, that's happening across the uh, across across the world right now. People are starting to wake up and and see that things aren't as as what they thought they were. Um, you know, and the con what I what I was uh, pushing in the in the beginning, same thing. Uh, uh, it's a true crime documentary series just came out. Uh, I was able to screen it, and uh, you know, I watched the whole thing, and and it see, really... like you said to me, you did time in in the joint federal and state, right? Yeah. Okay, so let me just use this. Hold one second. Uh, it's not... um, here's what I was taught when I was a kid, and and I was, you know, what a made individual is. Mm -hmm. I was a made kid when I was nineteen. I mean, the real deal, mm -hmm. right? Now, a man said to me one day, I'm going to pick you up and uh, we're going to go take care of some business and uh, bring that pea shooter of yours with you. Oh, I'm thinking, man, this is, I'm, I'm going big time now, boys. This guy was a heavyweight. I'm up. Game's on. 
picked me up and he said, let me see that piece of yours. He took it, he threw it under the seat of his car. He drove me right to a prison. And he had arranged for us to go into prison. We we got, went in the, in the front door and he said, stand still and listen. As the door closed with that clang, he said, that's the last sound you're going to hear until you walk out of here. And then we went up to a tier and we went from cell to cell and there were guys in there that I knew. And he looked in the cell and he said, hey, tough guy. Who's screwing you today or who are you screwing? And he went right down cell to cell to cell. And when we left and we were driving away, he looked at me and he said, let me say this to you, kid. It doesn't take brains to go to jail. It takes brains to stay out of jail. Any dummy can go to jail. Doesn't take a brain to go to jail. People used to say, oh, I'll go to jail, make my mark, and I'll become... That's all bullshit. That's total bullshit. Mm-hmm. You understand? And I know for myself, they told me if I ever got nicked to where I couldn't get out of it, and I had to go away, go right to the library and start reading books, and stay away from everybody in the joint because they all know who you are. And if anybody comes near you, hurt them and hurt them worse than they ever been hurt in their life. And end it right there. You understand? Yep. I was prepared. If I had to go, I would go. If I had to do the time, I would do the time. But I wasn't going to be a monk up inside the joint and be one of the punky patches. You understand? Oh, yeah. I got understood I... what the system was about. But any fool can go to jail. Staying home is what makes you smart. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good a good point to end it on. So kids out there, you hear that? Uncle Jack just told you uh, told you a good good little lesson out there to to, to learn. <laughs> don't 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 even bother. It's not it's not worth it. It's uh it, it's uh all hype. There's not enough money to do a day in jail, is there? No. Is there any amount of money worth you doing a day inside? Nope. <laughs> nope. And you don't realize that until you're in there, do you? <laughs> yeah, right? So, all right. Well, uh, you want to plug anything uh, before we before we head out of here? You already plugged your book that's coming out. Uh, Family Legacy yeah. is out on Amazon right now. And then uh, anything else that I can find on you, I'll throw in the show notes and uh, shoot people your way. And, uh, Super. If, all right? Hey, it's been fun, my friend. Take care of yourself. Yeah, Jack. Good good talking to you, man. Take care. All right. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue-collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.